Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, October 29th, 2017, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media, and I am Evan Valenti filling in for Larry H. Russell this week. Episode 234 is brought to you by Bombfell and Harry's. Go to harrys.com backslash Celtics for a free trial razor set. We're going to get to Sean Grandy, the play-by-play voice for the Boston Celtics on 98.5, the Sports Hub, and on the Boston Celtics Radio Network. He's going to join us in just a second, but I want to tell you guys, your last chance to win two tickets to the Celtics game coming up this Wednesday, November 1st, against the Sacramento Kings, against Darren Fox, Buddy Heald, Scalabissier, the young gun, Sacramento Kings coming up November 1st. You can win a pair of tickets. All you have to do is subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes. You can even make fun of me if you want. I don't really care how it works. Just go there, uh, subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes. Uh, that's all you got to do. The winner will be announced this week, coming up this week on CLNS Celtics on Twitter. Again, it's at CLNS Celtics on Twitter. Again, do all those things. Get yourself a chance to win two tickets to the game November 1st against Sacramento. Now, here comes Sean Grandy. So, before we even get to the meat and potatoes of this thing, Sean, I gotta ask you, as a guy that's been a fan of the NBA for a long time, what was it like calling a game at the Mecca the other night? I, I thought it was, I was pretty excited about it, and I thought it was gonna be really cool until Max and I found out where we would be sitting, uh, and that kind of put a damper on things, as, as most people know, we've had some issues. Uh, you know, Even in your own arena, you have issues. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we've got the worst broadcast spot in the league, but being a throwback game, more to the point, being a non-NBA arena and being a game where NBC Boston, I got to get in the habit of saying that instead of Comcast, uh, wasn't doing the game, we were, we assumed we needed to be courtside or have a location where, you know, we could, what's the word I'm looking for, see the game, um, as it was, you know, as it was going on. Instead, we were up at the top of the building. We had a great look at the floor. What was going on on it was, was kind of difficult, but no, it was a really cool thing on, um, you know, I, I, I love that kind of stuff. I love, you know, tweeting about it. I love tweeting the box score from the last time the Celtics played there. And, you know, I don't, I don't think we do that. I don't think we do that enough, make the connection to, uh, to the history. And I learned, because, you, you know, you learn things. I didn't, I didn't really know the history. I knew that when I was a kid, the Bucks had a crazy floor. But I didn't know the whole story of it. I didn't know ESPN had done a short, a 30 for 30 short. On yeah, it. I, I watched that. That was good. Yeah, it was great. I didn't know any of that until 
you know, we were getting close to the game. And even for a thing, I thought this was a little under the radar until the last, like, day or two when people kind of realized this thing's actually happening. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I, I love that kind of stuff. I'm waiting for my favorite movie when I was, like, six years old was The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. I'm waiting for that Pittsburgh floor, you know, when they have, like, the, the Dr. J crazy jerseys and all that stuff. So I don't think we can do this enough. I always like when Indiana brings the Hoosiers jerseys out, like the Hickory oh, yeah. High jerseys. I'm a huge sucker for that. Like, I know it might be gimmicky to some people, but I actually I do enjoy a little bit of like paying homage to history, and I was I was scrolling through the Bucks Reddit page, which of course can be an interesting time. But I thought this was a great great quote from from somebody um, in the Reddit forums. Quote from somebody there. Uh, well, it was a Mecca game, all right. We lost to the Celtics. Reminds me, I don't miss the rest of the miss the eighties that much. I thought that was a brilliant take on that. It was it was a fun night. It was it was and it was a great basketball game. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's both very good teams, uh, teams that are definitely going to be in the playoffs. It was an exciting night, I think, for the town of, for the city of Milwaukee. And I got to be frankly honest with you, that floor didn't bother me at all. I thought it was, a, and I think the story behind it, I think it was what, Ryan Indiana that was the guy behind the mastermind behind the, uh, the, the design of the court. I thought it was, I thought it was cool. It was different. And because things are cool and different, or at least different, it doesn't mean they're weird. It was, it was fine. It was a way to, to, to pay some, uh, history and respect to history, um, in Milwaukee, which is actually a nice little bit, a little rich, uh, uh basketball city. Um, but I do want to get into some other things about the season. And I actually, I'm going to give you some time. I'm calling it the Sean Grandy victory lap. And there are several victory laps that, uh, I, I would like to bring up. And I mean that, um, in this way. We had you on a podcast that I do for CLNS called Celtics Roundtable during the summer, and I, I was appreciative of the time. Um, we talked about a couple of things that you were absolutely 100% right on. First one, quote from you, Danny is the dangerous man picking at 21. You give him control of the board, and anything is possible. Now, you said that on July 15th, right after the Boston Globe did a photo shoot with Markel Fultz. It seemed like everything was Mar- Markel Fultz-related. I was convinced they were going to take Markel Fultz to the point where I promised that if, that if Terry Rozier was on the roster, I would eat a Terry Rozier sandwich, which I did last night. Um, they took Tatum. They traded down. They took Jason Tatum. He has been way better than I expected. Your early impressions of the Celtics 19-year-old? Uh, that he's not 19. That there's no way this kid is 19. I thought, you know, when he was 19, the first half on opening night against LeBron, he was 19. And then he came out at halftime, and he's been about 24, 25 ever since and it's just those things you can't you can't teach and also he has the body you know i don't i think it's way too early to call rookies four games into their season a rich man or a poor man's but look at kuzma of the lakers i think this is the the prototype it doesn't surprise me there are going to be certain players that do better in the ben simmons certain players that do better in the nba than they did in college and i think jason tatum and kuzma and certainly ben simmons have a chance to be those guys i just think when danny says in july well, you know, we would have taken Tatum number one, and everybody rolls their eyes at it because they're just, you stare at that board, and a lot of you, do, I try not to, but I know a lot of us do it, you stare at that NBA draft.net, whatever, you stare at your own mock draft, and you just lock those guys into place as if it's some sort of science to who the eighth guy is and who the 11th guy is. We're talking a lot about that tomorrow night as we're going to review that 2013 draft because of, Adetokounmpo and Kelly Olynyk and Rudy Gobert was in there, and obviously Anthony Bennett went number one, and how hard it is and how random it is that we get so carried away about taking a snapshot on one night, basically one-tenth of the way into the horse race to determine who the best player is. That's what these guys have to do. They start the race, 
and then these guys, all right, who's going to be the best player? And you have to decide five seconds out of the horse race that lasts, you know, two minutes long. So it's, you know, not an exact science. And uh, I really thought, you know, because I, I get a lot of grief. You know, I'll, I'll hear it from the Danny, the anti-Danny people, and there are some. And we'll hear about, you know, the late Fab Mello, and we'll hear about uh, Gabe Pruitt, and we'll hear about – and I get it. He's been doing this for 15 years, so there's going to be picks he would like to have back. But my thing about Danny is comparing him to the other GMs in the slots. So I was talking about controlling the board. He's been picking low for the most part all these years. And my point is, you want to rip Danny for bad picks, then you can. But it's like ripping Miguel Cabrera for the 60% of the time he doesn't get on base. Yeah, and he's still the best hitter on the planet when he's yeah. locked in. You know, it's like the worst guy you want to see in the box at any point when any player in Major League Baseball is locked in. Miguel Cabrera's had a very, very short list of guys you don't want to see. The thing about Tatum that really gets me is defensively, he's. I mean, you and I've read some things um, uh, all over the internet about how quickly he absorbs information, Jason Tatum. But defensively, you know, you think a guy his size in terms of like how frail he is, because he's again only 19, um, will get pushed around on the floor. But and he's and he's done things that have surprised me defensively. He's blocking shots. He's stealing the ball. He's been unbelievably switching well. He's guarding one on one situations. But the one thing that really really does impress me, and and it's something that I thought would get changed from summer league to now, is like how he scores. In the summer league, because it's such a much different environment. You have no time to really, you know, hang out with your teammates and, and figure out where everybody wants to get the ball, and you don't have a lot of time to, you know, run sets, run plays. It's a free throw out there, essentially, right? Tatum scores a lot in summer league from isolation. You know, a lot of the, you know, mid post isolation stuff that nobody likes to see or do or at all. Meanwhile, he's, you know, come into the NBA. Played a very specific role for Brad Stevens and Sean. He hasn't really done any isolation play at all whatsoever. He's finding his spots in uh, the whole harmony of the entire offense. That is what's been the most impressive thing to me because I was worried about how he would find himself on the floor with the rest of the team, and he's been seamless. It helps that, you know, certainly he's playing with Kyrie and Al Horford and, for, you know, for five minutes, uh, Gordon Hayward. These things are going to help him. Obviously, playing with, playing with much better players as opposed to the summer league when he was the guy. And there were, there were some moments last night, you know, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, when he and Jalen Brown were the guys on the floor. Kyrie wasn't in the game. Al wasn't in the game. And, you know, you, you see sort of a different, you know, you see his brain turning you know, a little bit. But, listen, this is the new NBA. A lot of us grew up with the mantra that, Defense wins championships, and good defense beats good offense. That's not how it works in the NBA these days. This is about this is an offensive league, and good offense is going to beat, you know, good defense. And you just have to find a way to hang in there defensively and find guys that can score, you know, on their own when everything else, you know, when everything else breaks down. And Jason Tatum has some offensive gifts at a ridiculous young age. Quick break. Episode two, three, four with Sean Grandy is brought to you by Harry's. Harry's is all about a great shave at a fair price. Over three million guys have switched to Harry's and it's one of the three million. I confess, look, I've never had a more comforting and close shave. And I'm a guy that likes to grow a beard, but every once in a while you got to trim it down, make sure it's okay. I use Harry's. They are the best. So they're blades with the highest quality I've ever seen. And most importantly, you're saving big bucks. Jeff and Andy, the two ordinary guys who were fed up with buying overpriced razors, they started Harry's to fix shaving. They bought their own German factory with over one 
100 years of blade-making experience to ensure the highest quality, and all products are backed by 100% quality guarantee. Harry's offers their blades at a half the price of leading five-blade razors, selling directly to you over the Internet. You have to give Harry's a try if you have not already. If you haven't, it's completely risk-free. Claim your free trial offer from Harry's today, a $13 value just for free when you sign up just to cover the shipping costs. Your free trial set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, Rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. Get your free trial set to go. Harry's.com backslash Celtics right now. That's Harry's.com backslash Celtics. Back to Sean. Yeah, if you think about the NBA is predicated on being tall right now. I mean, it's obviously a big man's game with the exception of Isaiah Thomas, our very beloved Isaiah Thomas. Um, but the game is about being as tall as possible, being as skilled as possible, and being able to space the floor as much as humanly possible. Um, and that's why Al Horford uh, has been, you know, kind of the real key to what makes the Celtics go. Um, Thursday night was a spectacular Al Horford game. And I feel like after Thursday night, uh, here comes everybody of the woodwork. Oh, Al Horford was so great, and this and that, and this and that, and oh, Boston really nailed that one. And it felt like not too long ago, only a year ago, we were talking about some people were talking about uh, how much of a bum Al Horford is, and why that contract was a waste of time, and this and that. It's nice to finally see people kind of open their eyes a little bit to the the prize it is Al Horford. In your estimation, Sean, is this? Al Horford being the same guy, just everybody realizing how good he is, or did he actually make a little mini leap here? Because you look at some of the guys that have gone from year one to year two in Brad's system. Evan Turner is one, a guy that was, you know, frustrating year one, year two, you couldn't live without him. Another guy on that list for me, Isaiah Thomas, a guy that was a little frustrating, a little Chuck heavy, but then last year he was magnificent, spectacular. Which one of those is that for you? I think it's actually the former. I think this was out all along. Perception and reality is always a, a funny dichotomy, and here are a couple of examples of that. Brad Stevens gets here, and the Celtics, with nobody on the roster and a total mess of a team, start out 12-14, and 14, or whatever it was, and they lead the Atlantic Division in December. So Brad is a super genius. You know, he may be a super genius. I wouldn't say that to his face, but he may be one, but the point is that everybody perception was oh my god this is the greatest young coach ever and then nobody paid attention when the Celtics lost about 38 games in a row after that it all went away Doc Rivers his first year comes here and gets a team that wasn't thought to be very good into the playoffs and then because of the brawl at the palace the Pacers who should have been the top seed in the east end up as the five seed and you got to play them in the first round so the Celtics lose in the first round to a team that was much better than them and everyone was kind of on Doc from the beginning that, you know, okay, Al, flash forward to last year. Al Horford plays a couple of games. He has a concussion issue, which was very scary for him and really makes an athlete think about his mortality. He was literally and figuratively in a very dark place when that happened. Remember, he missed three weeks. Celtics lost a lot of games in that early stretch. And the perception, I say perception, that, that talk radio idea of Al Horford, I think, was sort of warped from the beginning. And everybody sort of started from that place as opposed to looking at the guy he was when he was healthy in the second half of the year and the playoffs. But the irony is, he is, they always said about Billy Joel, it was his dream to play backup in somebody else's band. I'm not in a bad way. He can still be the best at what he does, but he just didn't want to be the guy. He wanted to show up for work, put the uniform on, 
play the game, go, you know, whatever. That's what Al wants. Al doesn't want to be. He doesn't need to to be on TNT. He doesn't need to be the star. He sort of was in Atlanta, and now it's the perfect situation for him because now he can just play at an extremely high level, and all the mics are going to go to Kyrie anyway. Except for last night, at the end of the game, uh, I think Chris and Ledlow uh, ended up uh, finding Al Horford at the end of the game, and he's just he's such a huge piece. What they do, he's a great voice in the locker room, and it, it was just nice last night because I've been beating the drum for a while. I've uh, I've called people out. I thought Al Horford was the best player on the Celtics in the playoffs. He shot sixty percent from the field, fifty percent from three point range. Um, this year, he's trying to be, and I didn't. Somebody else pointed this out to me. He's trying to be the first center in a very long time to average five assists in back-to-back seasons. And I think, I don't now correct me if I'm wrong, it might have been Wilt the last person to do that. Um, and you just look at how solid he is. And I thought Thursday night is a great example of the calming presence of Al Horford. I felt like at the end of the game, it got tight a little bit. And, you know, Giannis and the Bucks are making that run. And I sat there watching the game, and I'm thinking – you know, if Al Horford doesn't touch the ball every single offensive possession the rest of the way, the Celtics aren't doing the right thing because of the way he's able to survey the floor at 6'11". He can see everybody, and if there's people moving around, if guys are making cuts, he is going to find you with precision. You saw that on that pass to Kyrie Irving with a nice left-handed floater to, again, not essentially put the game away. I think Marcus Smart did it later on in the game with the dump off to Aaron Baines, but I think having Al as such a calming presence both on the floor and in the locker room it goes beyond the ledgers in whatever whatever book you want to look at for money wise. He is absolutely a hundred percent worth the money. And it and as you said, wasn't a lot of winning happening before Al got there. It's nice to see a competent center back on the floor for the Celtics again. Ian Brad are player coach soulmates. You know, they just that they in every possible way. They just fit together perfectly on and off the court and they make that group i don't you know the money again you brought that up and interesting because that i think is part of the percent oh this is a max contract guy and he's sitting out with the you know like with concussion stuff and he doesn't do he doesn't score 30 points a game and he doesn't grab 18 rebounds and he's not featured on tnt promo the contracts are determined by the market value there were five six of the teams that would have been more than happy to pay al horford the max money the same reason gordon hayward is going to be a max guy you can't look at that and say oh they're paying him all this money it's like the celtics won when they got him at that money they were the winners to be able to do that and the same thing with gordon hayward and whatever i mean i guess we can finally put this free agent nonsense to rest when the celtics never had max money ever free agents don't want to come to boston and then the first time they have slots they get two of the three guys that they target in two years which Again, I mean, I just got tired of. And they and they almost got Durant. It's not like they weren't in the oh, conversation. Was, there were people in the organization that felt there was a. And even now, when you talk, listen, kids change their minds, and he's still a young guy and whatever. But there was a period of time, late the night before, that there were a lot of people within the organization and within his inner circle that thought Durant was was going to go Celtics. I mean, it was very much. It was very real for a while. Yeah, and I like how you brought that up. It's not the first time ever that the Celtics had max money. They get two of the top three guys available <laughs> in the free agent pool um, uh, possible. And then we'll, we'll, I guess we'll stick with Hayward because um, you know it's been a, it's been a big storyline, and, and and there's a lot of great stuff that comes out of it. And we talked to you back in July. You thought the Hayward stuff was real, and you had a nice bit about what Brad Stevens means to Gordon Hayward. And you, I thought you put it really well. Is Brad Stevens the most important person in Gordon Hayward's life? No, he's not. But is he the eighth most important person in his life? Is he the 10th? Is he the 12th? What would you do for the person that's like the eighth most important person in your life? 
Think about it in that regard. And then you can see why the Gordon Hay- Hayward stuff is really real. And again, I had something to do with that. Gordon Hayward now is Celtic. It's, and it stinks that you got five minutes and 15 seconds of it. And it was beautiful. And uh, I can't explain to you how excited for this season I was. I, I really, I believe that this team actually could have taken down Cleveland and had, you know, barring an injury on the other side of the floor, could have taken the Warriors to an interesting series in the NBA finals. Um, Obviously, now that's that's a little bit out the window. That's going to be put on hold for a while. Um, but what I, 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 one of the things about Gordon that I really liked was something that got reported during the Philly trip about how Brad texted uh, Gordon, you know, hey, I'm going to be out of town for a while. Do you need anything? And Gordon Hayward texted him, I need a basketball. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, basically books get written about and movies get made about and all that other stuff. But I love – just the mentality of a guy like that. What did you learn about Gordon Hayward in your very short time with him during the summer and, again, the five minutes, 15 seconds of regular season action? Nothing. I mean, very little. You know, we travel with him a little bit in the preseason. You just don't – you know, it takes it takes a while for a player to become, you know, ingratiated into an organization. And it just happened so suddenly. That's why, you know, I flash back, and you got to be, a, you know, old enough Boston fan to remember, and it's a – in some ways, it's a bad parallel because this was a career-ending injury and a life-changing moment. But I was the, – the Travis Roy injury, the kid from Boston University in 1995 who was paralyzed, that happened right in front of me. I was working that game. And it was in on his very first shift as a freshman at Boston University. You know, his dream was to play at BU, and he gets there on his first shift as a freshman. He suffers this, you know, horrific injury. And it was – the way the community and Jack Parker and everybody rallied around him, it was straight because it wasn't somebody who had been there. And that was what was so interesting to see the Celtics as an organization. And picture being Gordon Hayward having to go through this if it had happened in Utah last year, where he had been his entire professional life. Now, with the exception of Brad and, and Tracy and, and the family and, you know, Micah Shrewsbury, everything is new. Everything is brand new. You play five minutes. You've been with these guys a couple of weeks. You have the shortest preseason we've ever had. So... All this stuff is completely brand new, and then he's got to deal with all that too. And I think it's been, you know, as comforting as you could imagine, not just to have Brad and Tracy and Micah and the few people they do know, but to watch Celtic fans who had not been able to make any connection with him yet just, you know, rally to him and be so, you know, be so affected by it. And, you know, I'm not into the silver lining, and things happen for a reason. Laura Keitlinger, the comedian, uh, the comedian always had a great line about that people who say everything happens for a reason. If you say it, if you listen hard enough, it sounds an awful lot like anything can happen with a razor. So it's you know I, I tend to I tend to you know put that one aside and not really put a lot of faith in it. But it is a year in which it's not a gimme year. But what are the expectations now for the Celtics? And hasn't Brad Stevens remarkably magically been put into a position again where the expectations are low? He has a chance to overachieve. There was virtually no chance to overachieve on public perception at the start of this year. Now there is, because what if you get back to the conference finals with this team anyway and get to Cleveland anyway and maybe win a game or two in this series? And what if you do more than that? That's That becomes miraculous. And it's a chance Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum will be one full year of this in when Gordon Hayward comes back. And that's going to be, if you were excited for this year, I can't imagine how excited you're going to be for next year. Oh, we've already started thinking about it. That's that's how excited I am for next year. I'm excited. We're a full year away from that. I'm already really excited for that version uh, of the Boston Celtics. And you bring up Jalen Brown, who 
I mean, look, I've I've been a massive Jalen Brown fan. I didn't expect this sort of jump coming right away, um, but I think the the confidence this kid plays with for now twenty one is is excellent. I mean, when he goes two for ten the other night, I don't even blink an eye at it. If now with the Hayward injury, guys like him and Tatum and more from Marcus Smart and a little bit from Aaron Baines, and they'll get a little bit from Marcus Morris when he rejoins the team, and they're going to have to find a way to make up that point differential without Hayward on the floor. But I like the fact that the kid that they've invested a lot in, a high draft pick, third overall in the draft, where Danny was apparently nuts for taking a kid out of Cal who shot poorly from three-point range and from every advanced bat trick was a complete negative on the floor, took a chance on him, and it's completely shined. I love... Jalen's confidence in the floor right now. It just seems like, look, I'm gonna get the ball and I'm gonna dunk it as hard as I possibly can, or I'm gonna drive by you, or I'm gonna shoot. So- I'm gonna shoot this wide open three pointer from the from the corner. I'm gonna make like the confidence. I think is the difference between Jalen last year, where he's sort of figuring himself out and how he belongs to the floor, to now where he's confident. Uh, he makes the right cuts, the right reads, and it, and even if I even like it this way, he knows that if he screws up, it's okay. He'll learn and get better from that. That's, I think, one of the biggest differences from Jalen last year to this year. And my favorite thing last night was him going 0 for 8, did not make a shot, and then when it mattered, he made a big play late in the game. Offensive rebound, get fouled, you know. And that's what you're looking for in a, in a leader-type player because it was going to be 0 for 8 nights. Uh, it's funny, I was talking to Brad before the game, and I said, are you concerned about, you know, that he was very quick after the Tuesday night game when everyone was, you know, I think Abby had said something like, you know, I'll give you a chance to heap some praise, you know, on, on Jalen. And he didn't want to do it because he said, listen, people are going to do that. There's going to be plenty of hype, and they're going to have to deal with that. And I said, are you worried about that? And then we kind of both simultaneously said, the game will the game will take care of that because this is what you have to learn at 19, 20, 21 years old. You can be on TNT and score 32 points and be the player of the game, and Charles and Kenny and EJ are talking about you, and then the next night you fly to another city on a back-to-back and you go 0 for 9, and that's the NBA. So it, all that stuff is going gonna, is gonna to happen. It's how you deal with the roller coaster, and it's on the nights you go 0 for 8, can you make a big play in the final two minutes, and that is when you're beyond your years, and that's sort of when you become a leader. Yeah, it's nice to see the young guys step up. I'll give you one more victory lap. We gave you one for... Being right about how important Brad Stevens was to Gordon Hayward, but again, I was I, I got to say, if my ex-wife had done this, our marriage might have left. Maybe. Hey, I'm, I, look, I a lot of people – see, the thing is, the thing about Twitter and the Internet is, like, when everybody – when somebody screws up and, like, old takes exposed is a great resource. Like, I just think yeah. it's, a, it's a fun gag to, like, relive some of the bad predictions we've all made. And luckily for me, I'm not cool enough or famous enough to be a target of old takes exposed. I've had my fair share, right? And everybody loves to dump on people when they're wrong. But I think you could easily do the same thing when people are right. And you were right back in July about, you know, Hayward thinking, you know, his thinking about Brad Stevens being a big part of his life. You were right on about Danny. You know, if you, if you give him the number one overall pick in the draft, he can do literally anything that he wants. And the, the best part about Danny is he does not care about public backlash, as we saw with Isaiah Thomas's trade. Uh, again, the cruelest, coldest move I think I've ever seen a GM do. And yet, as we sit here, looks like probably the right move. So, again, I, I, I'll give you credit for that. And the last thing I'll give you credit for, and I got a little whiff of this during the summer when we interviewed uh, Jared Weiss of now USA Today uh, Media Group. He, he told us off the air in a podcast, he said, guys, I got something coming in August. Don't do anything about it now. But I'm telling you something right now. 
Everybody I've talked to at Summer League has told me the same thing. Terry Rozier is coming for everybody. He's And he's like, everybody, that's all I've been talking about. It's the work he's put in, the time of the gym, the time of the jump shot, getting his body right, all this stuff. He's like, you're going to see a new and improved Terry Rozier. I only bring this up because, again, off the camera, you talked about how people gave you a lot of flack for defending a Danny Ainge for drafting Terry Rozier. You said, look, there's something there. Go back and watch the tape. There's stuff there. I've seen him in practice. I've seen him shoot around. Go back and look at his tape at Louisville on a Rick Pitino. You will find the reasons why Danny drafted him. Again, your last victory lap here, Terry Rozier, has turned into quite the indispensable backup point guard for the Boston Celtics. You could make a case he's been the most consistent player through preseason and, and the first five games. And, you know, that's, listen, victory laps are, are fun. And remember, everything is predicated on old takes exposed. And I, as a joke, last night when the game was over, we were talking about uh, how well Kyrie had played and Al Horford doing this and, you know, Jalen Brown making that play late. And so I said, well, naturally, all the shows tomorrow will be about how Giannis isn't ready to be that guy. You know, that's that's tomorrow's take. And, of course... You know, I'm a huge, I'm a monstrous Colin Coward fan, as everybody knows. I have total man crush on him and had for years. You know, friend of mine, all of the above. I think he's great. But I knew that was coming today, and you could see it. Like there it is. You know, Giannis isn't ready to be LeBron because that that's what works. And you know, we have we're come we're talking this week on the day of the the coldest take in the history of Twitter from the yes. all time. Yes, yes, I 100% agree with you on that. That was ridiculous. For those, I mean, that... it was—it's the greatest one of all. And it's, I was just mad that Seth Davis saw it before I did because mine would have been something along the lines of my 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 greatest wish right now is that if it were someone other than me, that Jackie Robinson himself could be here to to talk about that one. If you don't know what we're talking about, Skip Bayless tweeted this week that Lonzo Ball has it tougher than any rookie in the history of pro sports, and that you know that that's like. I'm sure Jackie Robinson might have a thing or two to say about that, not to mention some others. But the Rozier one is one I've had fun with over the years, only because it's the only time in seven, you know, i got 20 years in the league now, I'm 17 with the Celtics, and the only time Celtic fans ever turned on me. I get some grief sometimes when I actually talk honestly about LeBron being as good as he is, and that you still irritate some people who can't handle that reality. But the only time fans have ever turned on me here in 17 years was when I said, I didn't even say, oh my God, Rozier's going to be, I just said, well, all you want, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna like this pick. And there was a Matt Moore does the, runs the Twitter for CBS NBA, who just destroyed the pick. And you know, F he grades all the picks. F go away, terrible pick, blah blah blah. And I just took a, I just you know quote tweeted that or whatever we did back two years ago and said, save this tweet because you're gonna want it, you know, in a couple of years. And you know, obviously looking back, that's what people's job is to have opinions. So obviously not all of them are gonna be right. But the Rosier one is, I think if you're around long enough, you're going to get lucky. I went on with Michael Holly when he was doing the NBC Sport, the Sports Tonight show. This was 2010. The Celtics had just lost to the Nets. You remember that game? They lose, they lose a home game to the New Jersey, then Nets, the worst team in the league. Uh, in 2010, everything's going completely south. The next game, we're in Detroit, and pregame, I said, write this down. Put the date over my head when I say it. The Celtics will be, I think I said, will be in Cleveland for the conference finals, and obviously it turned out to be Orlando for the conference finals. I said, the Celtics will be in the conference finals, and it was an absurd thing to say, but this is the one thing, if I've learned one thing in all the years in the NBA and pro sports, it's this, and it applies to hot takes and reacting to things. When you are winning, it feels like you will never lose again. When you are losing, it feels like you will never win again, and everything always evens out. 
and we have never had more people whose job it is to overreact to what happened the night before. So, I I will be one of the people. Everywhere. I will be one of the people that that didn't like the Rosier pick at first because I was so infatuated with Justice Winslow. I mean, I really was. But remember, but yeah, but Rozier wasn't instead of Winslow. He was, in, he was instead of Rondé Hollis-Jefferson or Bobby right, Portis or right. those guys. Well, the, 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 by the way, you could make a case now, and I still like Winslow too. Danny, Michael Jordan maybe saved Danny from himself. He did. No, he, he you don't even have to make the case. You could just flat out say it. He did. He definitely did because I think – and you never know. And we talked with – I've talked with a bunch of people about this, most recently Coles Wicker of the Step Back and a bunch of different other NBA and college outlets – um, about how organizations can have an impact on development. And now what we've seen from the Celtics, I mean, again, very small sample size, what we've seen from Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier, and uh, Marcus Smart, the guys that have been drafted you know, with Danny and Brad there, um, the, in, the, the levels they get better at every single year is fantastic. Because now you have to kind of skew it that way. So if Justice Winslow ends up in Brad Stevens' tutelage, maybe it's a little bit different. I don't I don't know. You can't ever make that case. But the reason why I didn't like the Rozier pick at first was because I was so infatuated with the idea of Justice Winslow. And then I, I went back. I watched the tape. I watched him at Louisville. And I got a little frustrated at, at times because, again, like late in the shot clock, he would take some stupid shot. And I was like, what are we doing here? And then I'd watch him work out, and then I would watch him get hot. And I was like, how do you stop this guy when he gets hot? And then you start to see the athleticism, the guy that can rebound, you know, in a, in a sea full of trees, in a you know, in a forest full of trees. Here comes Terry Rozier out of nowhere to snag a rebound with one hand out of nowhere and push up the floor. Like, there are obvious strengths to Terry Rozier, and and I, I missed on a lot of them at first. And, I, again, I'll be one of the first guys to tell you I was dead wrong about it, but um, – Here's the, here's the point on drafting and how fragile it is, and you have to, it's like Miguel, Miguel Cabrera and the batting average thing. It's just consistency over time. And I, this, is, this has to do with institutional memory, but here's how fragile the whole thing is. In 2004, Jimmy O'Brien walks, John Carroll comes in and coaches the Celtics for navigating a ship that was just an absolute, through the wreckage, Mark Blunt not listening, to just a disastrous, calamitous end to the year. In the midst of all this, somehow, some way, the Celtics go on a six-game win streak, including winning games at Minnesota the year that was the Timberwolves' best team ever, the Kevin Garnett, Sprewell, Sam Cassell. The Celtics win a game at Minnesota. This is 2004. They have another quality win. They win six in a row. So when you get to the final day of the season, they end up tied with Cleveland for the final playoff spot because of a game early in the year when Ricky Davis, who was then a Celtic but wasn't at the time, Ricky Davis had a bad game, Cleveland loses. Celtics win that tiebreaker, and they go to the playoffs instead of the Cavs. Celtics are the eighth seed instead of the Cavs. They get destroyed in the playoffs, whatever. But as a result, they're not in the draft lottery. So they're picking where they pick. There's no chance to move up. There's no whatever. They're picking where they're picking in the draft lottery. In the 2004 draft, the player that Danny loved more than any in that spot was a guy by the name of Robert Swift. And because the Celtics were picking where they were picking, because they made the playoffs, Robert Swift was off the board. And Danny would have taken him, no matter what he tells you right now. Because everybody, and he was right. Robert Swift was an extremely talented guy. But the Celtics would have taken Robert Swift. Instead, he goes to Seattle. The Celtics take Al Jefferson. So because of the fragility of one game in 2004, the Celtics have Al Jefferson instead of Robert Swift. And Al Jefferson becomes Kevin Garnett which becomes the new big three era, which becomes all the championships. And that's how fragile 
the NBA draft is, that one slot and one game in one moment can make the entire difference of a franchise. So point being, if Winslow, if you trade all the picks away for Winslow, maybe you can't make some of these other deals. Maybe the Kyrie deal doesn't get – you don't know. But the, the ways this can go, it's like one of those books that we used to have as kids when we still read books. You get to the end of the page, and it's like, to do this, turn to this page. To do this, turn to this page. And it's a completely different story. And, again, that's how fragile it all is. I do want to finish up with Kyrie because, obviously, major storyline for the Celtics this offseason and has been a huge part of what they've done in five games. What's it like hanging out with him? I, I never know how to read him. I always think now with the the world is flat thing that he's just constantly trolling all of us at the same time and just trying to see if – trying to prod us to see what we'll actually believe and what we won't believe. Um, what's it like being with him on a somewhat regular basis? Again, very early. I don't like making judgments, you know, very early in the year. One of the most disappointing, not disappointing things, but one of the things that worked out, I was very much looking forward to really getting to know and traveling with Shaq when he was here seven years ago. And then, you know, the injury, he was barely with us. You know, that second half of the year, he wasn't there at all. And you just, you know, you lose those opportunities. And obviously it's just been a couple of interactions that Max and I have had with, you know, with Kyrie very early. He's clearly a different breed of cat. Um, you know, he's he's obviously highly intelligent and does like to mess with people and comes up in a different era of that sort of Kobe mystical, you know, uh, the distance you put between yourself, not necessarily trusting. And, you know, why would you be? I'm not sure I would be if I were in that spot. So I think it's a, it's an interesting time early as he gets to know Boston and Boston gets to know him. And I think it's one of those things where the success or lack of for the team is going to make a big difference in building that relationship because you can't put you can't take a bigger chunk of pressure and put it on your shoulders than Kyrie did not just I want to be the man not just I want to be away from LeBron and do it myself but to come to Boston and replace a player whose popularity is almost impossible to describe in terms of how quickly he became a fabric and part of the city the city loved him, and he loved the city, and I've never really seen anything like it over such a short period of time. You know, Brady was Brady, and Poppy was Poppy, but it, it happened so fast for Isaiah, particularly with this myth that guys don't want to play in Boston and whatever, all this nonsense, and it was just a mutual love affair. And to come in and replace that, if things don't go well from a perception standpoint and the team's losing in the first half of the year, which is very possible given the roster turnover and the injuries, there's, there's potential for, for trouble, I think. So it's, it's sort of rough seas at the start for him. And I think he's got a lot on him on the court and off the court. But as you know, what's up, they say, be careful what you wish for. You know, he asked for it. Let's see if the kid can do it. Sean Grandy, the voice, the play-by-play voice of the Boston Celtics on 98.5 The Sports Hub and the Boston Celtics Radio Network. You can follow all of his very good dry humor tweets on Twitter at Sean Grandy PVP, which is play-by-play. Sean, appreciate the time today, man. Uh, have some fun in Miami, and we'll talk to you soon. You got it. And that's going to do it for this episode of Celtics Beat number 234 on CLNS Media. Brought to you by Bombfell and by Harry's Razors. Go to harrys.com backslash Celtics for a free trial of Harry's Razors. I want to give a couple of shout-outs first and foremost to my own podcast, Celtics Roundtable. You want to check that out? Go to CLNS Media on YouTube. The, the vidcast, not even just a podcast, the vidcast. You can find us on our own uh, YouTube page and CLNS Media. Check us out there. Follow me on Twitter at Evan Valenti, E-V-A-N-V-A-L-E-N-T-I. Again, I want to thank Sean Grady for joining me today. Plus, 
couple of other thank yous to hand out. Music was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph LaGratteau for graphic designer Scott Dillon, CLNS CEO Nick Gelso, and for the executive producer of this show, Larry A. Russell, Evan Valenti, signing off Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Media.